It's Wednesday, July 18th, and this is The Daily Dive. The backlash was strong and the backpedaling was quick. A day after President Trump seemed to side with Russian President Vladimir Putin over our own intelligence agencies, he clarified his remarks and said that he indeed does accept the conclusion that Russia did meddle in the 2016 election, still maintaining that there was no collusion. Haley Britsky, reporter for Axios, joins us to discuss the president's remarks, including his misstatement. He meant to say he doesn't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia who meddled in the election. Next, Patrick Malone, national security reporter for the Center for Public Integrity, joins us for an interesting story about lost radioactive material, plutonium and cesium. Two security experts that were tasked with making sure these materials did not fall into the wrong hands, left it in the backseat of the rental car, and it got stolen. The bad thing is, this is part of a bigger problem. Lost radioactive material has gone missing over the years. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. Sort of a double negative. So... You can put that in, and I think that probably clarifies things pretty good by itself. Let me be totally clear in saying that, and I've said this many times, I accept our intelligent community's conclusion that Russia's meddling in the 2016 election took place. Joining us now is Haley Britsky, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us, Haley. Of course. Thanks for having me. So the backlash was pretty swift and the backtrack came pretty quickly as well. President Trump had a short little, it wasn't even a news conference. He was just appearing before cameras yesterday to clarify his remarks at the Helsinki meeting that he had with Vladimir Putin. And he said uh, he does accept the intelligence community's conclusion that Russia meddled. And then he also said there was a key sentence in some of my remarks that really changed the whole thing. What did he say? Right. So the president said yesterday that he misspoke in his remarks with President Putin and saying that I don't see any reason why it would be Russia that meddled in the election. He said yesterday that he meant to say, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. So, of course, that is a sort of backtrack. Um, We know that he has faced a wave of criticism over his remarks with Putin, people who are typically very supportive of him, several Fox News hosts, people that typically are on his side, were upset about his remarks, and they made that very vocal. You mentioned Fox News. So the president had an interview with Sean Hannity right after the big meeting, and he made no mention of this stuff. Obviously, later on, he said he reviewed transcripts and he went back and it it showed that he needed to clarify those remarks. In that interview with Sean Hannity, none of that was said. He still continued to say that Putin was very forceful, very strong in his rejection of uh, the Russian meddling. And then on the other side, you have Chris Wallace, Fox News host, who interviewed Vladimir Putin, and he pressed him very hard on the uh, meddling. You know, he even provided him the indictment of the 12 Russian agents, and he tried to hand it to him. Putin didn't want to take it. He said, just put it on the table there. So a lot of people were saying, you know, that's the way the president should have handled it. Press on him. Say, we're not going to stand for this stuff. And instead, he really just stood down on the whole thing. Has anybody made any remarks as to um, the president's clarification? Is anybody buying it? 
Well, of course, you know, pe- people are seeing this clearly as a way for him to kind of cover his tracks, which is essentially what this was after, you know, knowing the criticism that he had faced. It's yet to be seen, you know, how really people are believing this or not. On some level, the damage has already been done. You know, that was a whole 24 hours went by before he made this clarification. And you're right. You know, he sat down with Sean Hannity. Um, he did say yesterday that he hadn't realized what he had said. He needed to look at these transcripts to get a better understanding of where the outrage was coming from. But again, he he was not critical of Putin in his interview with Sean Hannity. He said he was very, very strong and that Putin asserted that there was no collusion and things like that. On some level, I think that the damage, again, was, has already been done with what he said in front of the press with President Putin. That was sort of his chance to stand up strongly against Russia, and he didn't really. And so that's going to leave a lasting impression with a lot of people. The backlash was pretty swift. Even one of the president's most ardent supporters, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, he just recently had a book, you know, praising President Trump. He even said that this was the most serious mistake of his presidency and it must be corrected immediately. People in uh, the GOP and uh, a lot of the president's supporters, how does this fare with them? They're obviously going to continue to support them, but are they having these conversations with him saying, hey, this needs to be, you need to stand up more to this guy? We saw, of course, people like um, Senator John McCain, who has been a frequent critic of the president. He said it was one of the most disgraceful performances by an American president in memory. House Speaker Paul Ryan saying that the president must appreciate that Russia is not our ally. Uh, Mitch McConnell reasserted that Russians are not our friends and that he agrees with the intelligence community. So he faced from a lot of people, a lot of people who are typically on his side of things. Of course, Newt Gingrich's remarks speak very loudly as well. But we also see that a lot of people are going to continue supporting him. They may have been upset with his remarks and they may not have agreed with them, but that doesn't mean that he's going to lose their support entirely. And we had other lawmakers tiptoed around it. They didn't want to take as strong of a stance in in criticizing him. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out down the line and as we distance ourselves from that press conference where people stand. But it doesn't appear to be anything that's going to really turn off a lot of Republicans from him for good. Going back to that interview that Chris Wallace did with Vladimir Putin, you know, while he was confronting with him, there was moments where Vladimir Putin was smiling and smirking and kind of laughing the whole matter off. You know, he thinks it's nonsense, very much uh, similar to how the president describes it. But, uh, you know, there's the NSA uh, Cyber Command, uh, U.S. Cyber Command. They're actually still working on things to counter future Russian interference. I mean, they think things might happen in the midterms. They think things might happen in the next presidential election. The intelligence agencies and all of our cyber um, defenses, they're still gearing up to protect against future Russian infiltration. Right. And so that's kind of the general consensus is that it happened once, it's going to happen again, and we have to be ready for it. And so for the president to give this impression that he may not have totally believed the intelligence community's conclusion on that, which of course he walked back yesterday, but for him to give that impression, it, you know, speaks volumes because they're still working to prevent future attacks. And it's not just the intelligence community that believes that, it's a lot of higher up Republican lawmakers who are saying, no, Russia did this, they're going to do it again, and we have to be ready for it. So it kind of leaves that question of, does the president believe this will happen again? And what is he going to do about it? The thing that President Trump and Vladimir Putin keep pointing to is better relations between the U.S. and Russia. What does this kind of issue do for that? I mean, are the two just the next time they ever get together, are they just going to brush it off and, you know, hey, everybody's crazy? Uh, You know, I mean, what does this do for the future of relations between the two countries? 
So, of course, they, you know, they both kind of gave the impression that things are working really well between Russia. President Trump said something along the lines of the relationship has never been worse, but that all changed four hours ago, you know, when when they had their one-on-one meeting. So they're giving the impression that their relationship has improved greatly, that the U.S. is going to wants to, you know, have this important relationship with Russia and that President Putin is open to that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens the next time they meet one-on-one or the next time they have this kind of event between them. But they're giving this impression that their relationship is good and that they trust each other. That may be kind of a strong word to use, but the president has said, again, he's praised Putin as being very, very strong. He said all of these things that, you know, will Putin is saying that they did not meddle in our election. And um, so it gives this impression that he trusts what Putin is saying, or at least is willing to listen to his denial of these things. And so it'll be interesting to see how that carries over into the next time they have a meeting. Haley Britsky, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. They really are not dangerous or anything, and you can't make, make, make a bomb out of them or something like that. You need a, a, a fair amount of material, and it has to be quite pure uh, in order to make a weapon. One might use that for that uh, purpose, um, but plutonium, uranium, those are not very good duty bomb materials um, because they're not very radioactive. Joining us now is Patrick Malone, national security reporter for the Center for Public Integrity. Thank you very much for joining us, Patrick. Thank you, Oscar. So you're joining us to talk about this uh, just insane story about lost plutonium, lost cesium, and these two guys who just did a bonehead thing to lose it. Uh, But it actually leads into a larger conversation about these lost radioactive materials that the government just kind of loses track of all the time. Let's start in March 2017 in San Antonio, Texas. What happened there? Well, there were two experts from Idaho National Laboratory. They're part of uh, a company that works for the Department of Energy that runs Idaho National Lab, and their specific duties are to keep nuclear materials from falling into the wrong hands or being lost. Uh, That's part of the irony here. But they were on their way to San Antonio to collect some nuclear materials that had been on loan to a research facility and uh, the night before they were due to pick those up they decided to stay at a marriott hotel that was right off the 410 highway Uh, they left in the rental vehicle two large sort of fortified pelican briefcases they contained some detectors radiation detectors that are part of their work to identify the materials they're picking up and along with those Uh, very small quantities of plutonium-239, which is a specific variety used in nuclear warheads, and cesium, which is generally uh, used for blood irradiation and nuclear medicine. Uh, These weren't super large quantities of these materials, but they were in the backseat of that car. These folks rested their heads overnight, and when they came out in the morning, they discovered the window to their rental vehicle smashed, and the cases containing the samples and the gauges were missing. The detectors that they brought were to basically calibrate those machines with those uh, small samples so that they knew exactly what they were picking up was all the right stuff, basically. So they had their own radioactive materials that they brought on this trip. And then, yeah, and then, as you said, just kind of leaving it in the backseat of the car. Question, are these detectors, are they heavy? Is it something that would be too cumbersome to take into your room with you? Uh. You know, they're, they're no heavier than a suitcase. 
So they, they definitely could have moved them. And generally it would have been recommended not to leave these outside of their possession. Right. Um, with other government agencies that I spoke with in the course of reporting this out, uh, there are strict controls about what type of rental vehicle to get. You know, there, are, uh, for instance, the folks at the government accountability office, if they're dealing with documents that are for official use only, they're not to be left alone in a car. And if they are left in a car, it should be in a trunk, not somewhere visible. So there were a number of things that they could have done better. And even the San Antonio Police Department, which admittedly has never dealt with a theft like this of nuclear materials before, it was obvious to even them that uh, these were sensitive items that never should have been left somewhere where thieves could readily get at them. This was in March of 2017. So even a year later, they still don't know where those materials are, but they also, it wasn't really widely reported or reported at all, really. Correct. This was the first public reporting of this. And uh, that in itself really spotlights one of the differences between military nuclear materials, which are those under the Department of Energy's control, and civilian nuclear materials that might be used by hospitals or uh, nuclear power plants or even widely used in, in the oil and gas exploration field. So that would be regulated by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And whenever an item goes missing from one of their licensees, it's reported on the NRC's website, and it also becomes part of a an annual report that gets a fair amount of attention that describes in pretty great detail what happened and whether the items were recovered or not. Uh, the distinction here is the Department of Energy is not only responsible for the work that's being done by its contractors, they wear a second hat, which is oversight and regulation of these folks. And the big disparity is that there's not really any transparency on the military side of the house where Department of Energy is involved. And that's why this was almost a serendipitous discovery. Um, they just don't report these things. How did you guys at the Center for Public Integrity find out about this? It was largely by chance. We had uh, requested a trove of documents under the Freedom of Information Act that included some internal communications and internal reports about uh, matters of nuclear security and uh, nuclear safety, worker safety. And among those documents was this report, which uh, we weren't aware of, we hadn't been looking for, and just kind of serendipitously came across it. Talk to me about the acronym MUF, Material Unaccounted For, because this is kind of part of a larger problem, things that we lose and never find, and these are dangerous materials. Absolutely, and I, I really think that this is probably the most important point of this whole story. Uh, the, granted, this was a very small amount of plutonium and a small amount of cesium. In this but case? They, in this case, but it does add up. And uh, what we know, and uh, obviously there's more to know here because the most recent statistics that we have and the most recent analysis of DOE's handling of these kind of materials dates back to 2009, and at present there isn't another one planned yet. Uh, but what they knew in 2009 was that uh, the Department of Energy facilities alone uh, had five nuclear warheads worth of plutonium and highly enriched uranium that nobody, frankly, knows where it is. I mean, dribs and drabs of it get stuck in ducts at laboratories. Uh, bits of it get classified as waste and shipped off for permanent disposal um, at, without ever being cataloged. And what they found in that last review of 2009 was that there were, you know, 
the equivalent of five nuclear warheads worth of material that uh, on paper looked safe, but nobody really knows where it is. Was it uh, just mislabeled? All those things are subject to speculation. But what we do know is that these disappearances continue as recently as March 2017. And we don't really have a, an idea, the public out there who could be affected health-wise and otherwise by this stuff, um, how often it happens or or whether there are big batches of it disappearing. There's a funny sub-headline in your article, just a cat or a brick. So you said there was uh, a lot of materials gone, but as little as nine pounds of highly rich enriched uranium, the average weight of a cat, or seven pounds of plutonium, the weight of a brick, can produce a functioning nuclear warhead. Uh, and you said these things are, you know, in really small quantities, but it is radioactive material. So, I mean, that's it's still pretty dangerous to people if you kind of encounter it. Right. I mean, uh, if someone were to, for instance, happen across the case that contains these, uh, they probably wouldn't be harmed. If they accidentally got it in their drinking water or took it home and, you know, one of their kids put it in their mouth, it might be a different story. But there are known cases of uh, terrorist organizations seeking out specific materials, and uh, plutonium-239 and cesium are both on that list that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission puts out. And what makes it doubly troubling is uh, that the Atomic Energy Agency, that's the international body that tracks nuclear materials and with the uh, hope of preventing diversion for nefarious use, they did a study that was released in 2016, reviewing about 25 years. It was 1993 through 2016. And they identified 270 specific instances where individuals either tried or successfully stole nuclear materials around the world uh, with the intention of weaponizing them. So uh, what might appear to be a small amount could be a part of a larger connection. And there is evidence out there that groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda specifically have targeted these very materials. The last question I have for you, uh, Patrick, has anybody been punished for losing these uh, materials in Texas? Uh, quite the opposite. In fact, the responsible parties received an award from their employer, the firm that is contracting with the Department of Energy at the Idaho lab uh, for exemplary job performance. Additionally, that contractor got 97% of all the bonus money available to it last year when this incident occurred, and there was no enforcement action by the Department of Energy. So let's contrast that against the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which uh, in the last few months encountered the loss of a small bit of plutonium of comparable size, which just by coincidence had been lost by Idaho State University, a civilian nuclear licensee. Uh, they faced a fine of $8,500, which they have since paid. And, you know, this is a, a black eye on sort of their permanent record as a license holder. It's the kind of thing that if it continues, their license could be in jeopardy. But we don't see that level of accountability on the military side of the house where Department of Energy is involved. Well, it's a very interesting story. We're going to link back to your article because there's a lot of stuff that we didn't even get to touch on. <laughs> but it's just so crazy. Patrick Malone, National Security Reporter for the Center for Public Integrity. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow the Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.